0: You deal with it by thinking, well, just think when I get through this episode, I might not have another one for three years. So I try and think positively about it rather than living in fear now, which I realize I've done for 30 years. I'm actually waking up now and it's not the first thing I think about because I've realized in the last six months, being free of that, how exhausting it's been for 30 years.
1: Hello all, you are listening to the Capsule in Conversation podcast. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by a national treasure, a no-nonsense loose lady who's been championing mental health awareness for the last decade. The wonderful Denise Welsh joins me to talk owning your power, unleashing your passion and the importance of making peace with yourself. So take a minute, settle down and get ready to join us in our conversation. Hello, all. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, it's a pleasure to have you with me. As I said in the intro there, I am beyond thrilled to finally be able to welcome this national treasure to our podcast. She has been on my wish list of guests since series one, having talked so honestly about her own mental health journey and opening up the conversation for the rest of us. She's not afraid to say it how it is, and over the last 30 plus years, has lit up our screens both as an actress and presenter. She's a Loose Woman favourite and an Instagram sensation. She is the Hello. fabulous Denise Welsh.
0: Hi, Denise. Hello. Hi there. That was some
1: some um, introduction. Thanks, Nat. Oh. <laughs> well, listen, as I said to you, I am so excited to get you on here finally after months and months of organising. Thank you. So thank you for being with me.
0: It's a pleasure. I never know if this is just going to be audio. I think it goes out on YouTube. So I apologize to anyone watching, but I've literally rushed off the train. Um, after being stuck at Euston last night. So I think I have to stay an extra night in London. So I think I've even got a bit of last night's The Star on. So apologies, but crack on.
1: (laughs) You don't need to apologise. This is what I love about you, Denise. You know, you you come as you are and that's it. You take me as you find me. And I love, (laughs) honestly, I absolutely love it. One of the, the reasons I wanted you on this podcast was because for me, you were one of the first people that ever really spoke out about mental health struggles you know a decade ago when you released your first book Pulling Myself Together I was like wow someone's actually talking about this because I've always struggled since I was little with anxiety not so much depression but anxiety Mm -hmm. and in our industry it's just like nah you're not allowed to do that so when you did it it was like wow someone's got the balls to finally say what probably the rest of us were thinking so I wanted to say thank you really you know for that you're welcome
0: I mean it's it's interesting that you use the phrase have the balls to and also people say it was brave too, which it, it is interesting because it never it never struck me as that at, at the time I started suffering from uh, clinical depression slash major depressive disorder over 30 years ago when I had my first son Matty and um I was a, a typical blooming woman in pregnancy. I was excited for the birth. I was in a, then what was a very happy marriage with their dad. We had some money in the bank. You know, there was no major outside problems and a much wanted child. And um, and I had a brilliant pregnancy. And then I was plunged into a, a horrendous, um, severe postnatal illness, depression, um, which was verging on a corporal psychosis. So I was sort of in and out of lucidity, but it was the thick black suicidal depression that was so overwhelming for someone who had never had a day's anxiety, depressive illness, psychiatric disorder, anything. And I was I was 31, I wasn't I wasn't a young kid. And um as I sort of after a year and a half, because it was that long before I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I had done an article about postnatal depression and how I felt, not thinking that I was doing anything out of the ordinary. I just thought I was talking about my experience. And I remember saying to my mum, you know, I'm going to be honest about how how how, how I feel because um, I, I can't believe this has happened to me. Anyway, I wasn't anything like as well known as as as, as I am, you know. And um, anyway, it started it started a a little sort of furore amongst the, the the local papers and the and the local TV shows. So at the time, um, people as old as me will remember the time, the place, the Robert Kilroy Silk Show, all of those sort of morning shows. And I was asked to go on them, and I thought, well, I'm going to. I'm going to talk about how I feel because it by this time I was aware that nobody else was talking about it, certainly nobody in the public eye. And if you were someone like me, at the time, even if I had wanted to go and search my library or search the bookstores for books on postnatal depression, I wasn't well enough to. And um, and so that's why I started talking about it and um. and and people started saying it's so brave. And I didn't realize that it was such a taboo to talk about mental illness until I started talking about it. And people say to me, you must have lost work over the years, have you? And I go, well, I'm not, I'm not aware of it. But if I did, I didn't want to work for those people who didn't give me the job anyway. (laughs) If people can't, you know, I've, I have survived, I'm a survivor of mental illness. I live with mental illness, although touch wood. I haven't had an episode since September, 2019, which is the longest I've ever gone in 30 odd years. So that's um, unbelievably fortuitous. That's all it is, it's just fortuitous. And, um, and I just thought, well, part of my mission in life, as well as to look after my family and be a good, uh, be a good mom, and, and be a good actor, and, and all those other things, is to be a mental health advocate. So that's what I've continued to do.
1: This episode of the Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Springwater. Famous for its waters since 1571, Harrogate is Britain's premium natural source water. as well like um your passion you are a passionate person anyway and i think as well something else that comes across about you is that if there's anything my family would say
0: gobby <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll go with passion <laughs> but i think as well what really comes across with your character is that um if there's a sense of injustice you'll stand up and you're kind of one of those people that will go hold on a minute and hold people accountable. Do you think there's that element too, that you don't want people suffering like you have?
0: I think so. I mean, I've learned to, should I say, pick my battles. Mm. Um, Because what you can do is, which I've done in the past, Natalie, is you can spread yourself too thin. So I have, which is no good for my mental health. So if my mental health goes down, that affects my family. The ripple effect is I can't help anybody. So I have got to, I have learned to prioritise how how much I I, I take on. Um, and also, in all fairness, there are some things that I am more passionate about than 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 others. Mental health is always is, is always one of them. And I think that's why I was um because I like the opportunity to clear this up. I think it's why I was so vocal during the last two years during COVID. A lot of people misconstrued my voice as some kind of COVID denial, which having seen my own father die, not of COVID, but of pneumonia, which was, you know, a chronic respiratory disease. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. It couldn't have been further from the truth. And it was the fact that the way that we were um, manipulated and certain, um, certain restrictions, I felt were having a negative effect on mental health. And not enough work was being done to protect the mental health of people during COVID. So we had a complete um, fear mongering, scaremongering media with no attempt to balance that with factual data to help people through one of the most terrifying times of their lives. So my fight was about correcting issues that I felt were wrong. And uh, that's, all that it, that's all that it was, you know, I am no medic, you know, people were saying, oh, oh, let's listen to Professor Denise Welsh. But I did have a voice for those people who couldn't speak out as regards how it was affecting um, men- mental health. So um, when I do feel passionate about something and I felt incredibly passionate about a lot of stuff that, w- that went on, that was where my voice always came from the mental health angle.
1: I think for me, that comes across, though, like if you're on your Twitter, and I mean, I suppose for me, I've had the opportunity to work with you and to, and to know you and to know that you're such a genuine person. Oh, so for you. me, that really does come across. And you know, you're always going to get the, the silly trolls. But I, I agree with you when you get um, media people, then trying to kind of manipulate what you said to fit in with their argument when really you know we've seen the repercussions already where it's the tip of the iceberg right now with regards to covid and mental health and particularly our children's mental health as well i think this is what it was the way that the education system was
0: treated and um listen of course there had to be certain restrictions, of course, there had to be measures not, you know, I didn't blame whether you're Labour or Conservative. I knew that some people were sort of clutching things out out of the air. It was a very, very difficult time. But I always knew in my boat, you know, what I think what it was for me, Natalie, that when I saw the Emperor with no clothes, was when uh, we all saw photos you know we all knew that there was sometimes only five or six people allowed to attend a, a funeral service for somebody that they loved all of their lives and people were being arrested in the park if they couldn't prove that they had a cup of coffee and you know all, all of this type of nonsense and um, and w- which I felt very strongly about uh, uh, about at the time and it was seeing a a video of two brothers who had gone to comfort their mother who had lost her husband of 50 years, their father, and they were threatened with arrest if they went near her. In the meantime, people were allowed consecutively over a period of weeks to gather on bridges and cheer and, and all of the emergency service come out and their klaxons and people taking guitars outside hotels. And I'm thinking, well, where's COVID gone on a Thursday then? Clap for carers was just supposed to be about standing at your door or banging a pan. And I kept thinking any minute now, the government, if it's so dangerous, the government, if it's so dangerous that two brothers can't, it's not saying it wasn't dangerous, but if it was so dangerous that two brothers couldn't comfort their mother over the death of their father, how are we allowing people to, you know, so that was when I thought, nah, I smell BS here and this is not fair on on people's mental health with these confused signals. So that's when I started speaking out. But I'm not going to make this a covid thing. I just wanted to clear the air on that one.
1: No, I'm glad I'm glad that you have it to be honest because I think it's it's that's what this podcast is about. It's about people having their opportunity to put things into their own words as well, you know, not have that spin on it just come from um, a Twitter or a tweet. Um, going back to the mental health stuff, though, for, for me, obviously, you've continued with that journey over the last decade and mm-hmm. your more recent book, The Unwelcome Visitor. Just, again, talk, talk me through the process. Do you now feel that because you've opened up on such a level that you have a a responsibility or a want to just keep documenting your journey to help others
0: Mm. I don't really document my my journey and the unwelcome visitor was was a battle in itself because Mm. you know I'm an old bird now and I don't have the greatest recall of (laughs) of a lot of things and also with the unwelcome visitor for those who haven't read it it is um it's my my journey, you know. The, the the subtitle is depression and how I survive it. Mm. There was um there was there was talk of calling it depression and how to survive it. And I said, Well, I'm not qualified to say how to survive it because I'm not a medical person. I'm qualified to say how I survive it. And if other people take solace or or, or learn something or get some comfort from that, then that's fantastic. So that book was spawned after in 2019 in September, um I um I've always talked about how my my depression is endogenous as opposed to reactive, which means that there is a chemical or hormonal imbalance in many, many people. Mm -hmm. So depression isn't caused by something reactionary. So, you know, my fear of um, what was going on over the last two years, losing my dad in September, losing my mum 12 years ago, those uh, horrible world events, events in my life made me emotionally traumatized and I reacted with grief and sadness. As, as, as you are meant to do when those things happen. That is not clinical depression. That is being incredibly low and sad and grief-stricken. Depression is an illness, which in my experience comes on endogenously. So um, the last episode I had or breakdown as we would uh, call it was 2019 September, driving up to the Northeast with my good friend, Lisa, with her two children who are Matty's scott kids in the car. We were excited to go and see my sister, who has um, three uh, children. We were we were all laughing and joking in the car. A very normal friends' weekend with kids driving up to the northeast, as anyone would uh, imagine. We got to the Angel of the North, which is always my yay, I'm home landmark <laughs> in Newcastle, and um, and I felt the unwelcome visitor arrive. And what I mean by that metaphorically is there is a physical element to the onset of my depression, usually. So I get a very tinny metallic taste in my mouth. I get a tingling in my palms, and suddenly I explain it as the color goes out of my life. It's like from going in technicolor into black and white. And and this comes on in like 30 seconds, and I have zero control over it. And every element of joy, every emotion, that I have is gone because depression, if you break it down, just exactly what it says on the tin, it depresses every single emotion. And I was talking to presenter Sean Williams the other day, who is also a trained psychologist. And she said, um, she said when she was learning, they were calling it persistent sadness. And it makes me cross because it's nothing like sadness. Mm. Um, And it it it, it is a horrible black, evil feeling where you can feel nothing I can't eat I can't sleep it's um I can't watch television which is my joy in life there is no joy in anything and um I I call it the unwelcome visitor And once that unwelcome visitor sometimes the unwelcome visitor is approaching and he will retreat and again I have no control over that What I will sometimes do when I say I've got no control, what I will sometimes do is if I have a couple of mornings where I feel the unwelcome visitor is trying to make an appearance, I will, if possible, or Lincoln will, my husband, take things out of my diary. So what the depressed person doesn't need is fuss and coddling. They need to know that you're there. They need to know that there's love around them. What would you like me to do? And it might just be just go, leave me alone. I'm okay but I just need to be on my own. If my phone rings when I'm depressed, it's like, oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds a complete overreaction, but it's a, it's, I can't deal with anything. And if there's two cups in the sink, it's like I've walked into this complete pile, a kitchen full of dishes that need doing. It's a really crippling, isolating, debilitating, debilitating depression. And once mine was so bad, that it was almost like it caused a Bell's palsy. It was that the depression was so thick that my hands twisted and my am twisted to the side and they were going to take me in for electric shock treatment, ECT, electrocardio, whatever it's it's called, I can't remember. And um, they didn't because it, it turned around but that is an extreme way of treating it and an effective way of treating it if it needs be. It's still got a very Victorian memory Mm. to people of being shackled to a thing with you know like in Frankenstein's days but believe me it's it's not something they like to use a lot but it is very effective in severe cases. Um, Anyway I going back to this episode September 2019 I got to my sister's and I made my excuses and went to my bedroom. There were friends there to greet me because I hadn't seen them for ages. I didn't want to talk to anybody and I I still sometimes, even though I talk about not doing it, I still sometimes say, I'm just not feeling too good. Because I always feel that it ruins everybody's day. And I've got much better at doing that. But anyway, the next morning, something in me compelled me to pick up my phone and record the episode. Because over 30 years, I have always talked about it, as I am to you now in the past tense. You know, when I last had an episode, this is how it was. And I know if my husband had been with me, he would have taken the phone off me probably, but I just picked up the phone and I remember explaining how hard it had been to have a shower because it's hard enough to just get out of bed. And I said, I'm going to, no matter how I feel, I'm going to chronicle this over the next few days. And I did. I then put the phone down and went to bed. I took time off work. um, And when I picked up my phone again, it had gone viral. It had been on the news at ten, and it bizarre because I think it was bizarre to me because I've talked about it so much. Mm. It wasn't like this was my first rodeo of talking about it, but it was because of the impact that it had of somebody seeing it, people seeing it. and i was um I was a bit shocked by by the response because I kind of felt like I was talking to I don't know a smaller group of people that that kind of looked to me for help and advice, and you know, anyway it it spawned a, a, a few people coming to me about a book and I didn't know if I wanted to do it because I didn't know if, if going back to those dark places would be triggering in any way you know anyway I did do it and I did it with the help of a wonderful woman called Rebecca Cripps and um, and we worked in tandem together um, and she would Talk to me. I would then write a chapter. I would send it to her. She would jiggle it. It was a complete collaboration, and 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 it became a bestseller. And one of the one of the the most poignant chapters, the the one of the chapters that made the most impact, was a very late chapter that the publishers went, "No, Dan, no, we're going to print. You can't put this chapter <laughs> in." And I said, "Please, please, I beg you, I, I just think I need to do it." And it was a chapter that I wanted written by the people who love me the most. So it included a chapter from my husband, my, my husband Lincoln, my two children, Mattie and Louis, my sister and my four best friends. And they all talked about the impact my depression had had on them over the years, what they had learned from that. And that was, I'd always wanted this book to be somewhat a book that people would pass down or pass on to people and say, look, mom, I know you don't understand depression, but this is what it's like, and you read it? Or my brother doesn't understand it, so I've lent it to him, or, you know, one of those things, because it's the book that I would have wanted when I was poorly, so it was, and it was also very impactful for me reading what my family said as well. Um, it, was, it was very, very moving. But completely, fortuitously, not because of that, that was the last episode I had. So I've gone through the last two years with the COVID, the horrible world that we've all gone through, losing my beloved father, having a stalker, all of these things that have been really horrendous, but I haven't had clinical depression to deal with. So it's a really interesting
1: illness. Hello, I'm Florence Given, bestselling author of the book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, and I have a new podcast called Exactly. In this first season, we'll be diving into five big topics, sex, social media, feminism, relationships and body image, and exploring them all from different angles. I'll be chatting to some amazing guests, from psychologists and doctors to cultural commentators and celebrities. Out now, listen and follow Exactly with me, Florence Given, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that perhaps your journey with that book has helped in any way or do you, uh, is it completely separate?
0: I don't know. Do you know something? I talked to a hormone doctor who's just a friend. She's not my doctor. Mm-hmm. She's a wonderful hormone doctor, uh, Dr. Anise Mukherjee. If anybody is struggling um, pre or post menopausally particularly, she said, she's um, an amazing uh, woman at the hormone doc on Instagram. And I was talking to her on a walk with a friend of mine and I said, why do you think, Anise, that this has happened? Do you think that, you know, because I'm still on an antidepressant, I always will be. I'm still on a hormone tablet, I always will be. And she said, I just think it's a perfect storm. It could be a mixture of hormones, antidepressants, it could be neither. It could be a mixture of um, psychological aspects. She said, but don't break it down too much. Just enjoy it because I do, Natalie. I, I enjoy every every day as a normal person. And I, one of the things I'm grateful for is the fact that when my dad was, when we knew my dad was um, coming towards the end, it was after such an amazing battle and then pneumonia took him. It was just so horrendously unfair. But I just, I thought, please, please, I'm not religious, but I'm going, please do not let my thing, do not let the unwelcome visitor come now because I, knew that it would rob me of my ability to mourn my dad because it would have left me completely emotionless. It also it makes me stronger you know I can do things like this with you that I can't do if I'm if, if, if I'm if I'm poorly so and, and also I think it's encouraging to people to think that you may have suffered this all your life but then you might get three years when you don't it might be four years you know this is the this is the longest gap so so what happens is if and when well when I get another episode, you you deal with it by thinking, well, just think when I get through this episode, I might not have another one for three years. So I try and think positively about it rather than living in fear now, which I realize I've done for 30 years. I'm actually waking up now and it's not the first thing I think about because I've realized in the last six months, being free of that, how exhausting it's been for 30 years
1: that must be so hard though Denise you know to like you said then to to have that fear and and when you're in the the crux of it to even though you can't really feel anything to still try and push to that positive place you know it must be draining as well
0: there is no positive place when 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 you're in it you've got to wait Mm. for it to lift but when it's lifting it's like it's like going back into Technicolor um, and I'm using that analogy because I saw something on Twitter the other day of when Australian television in the '50s literally went from black and white to Technicolor, and it was like it just did that up the screen. And it and, I, and it's it's sort of like you know I, I can relate to how how that feels. So I'll start feeling it. It's like a blanket, and I'll say, and I won't say anything at first to anybody because I can think. I think I think it's going, I think it's going, I think it's going. And then I'll wait a few hours before I say to people it's gone um, because I'm frightened that it'll come back again before I tell people, because all the people that love you look at you with that expectation in their eyes, you know, like Lincoln will walk in and he's so desperate for me to say it's gone mm-hmm. and it doesn't. And I can see his worry for me still there. So it's, it's weird how the ripple effect affects everybody. I mean, it's, Sobriety has helped. Mm. Um, I've just celebrated 10 years sober. And um, I I wanna say to people that giving up drinking doesn't cure depression, but what it does is it stops compounding it. Because when you're self-medicating, you're just making it worse. You get a brief respite from anything because you know what alcohol and drugs do, they just numb the pain, but they only numb them temporarily and then it makes it 10 times worse and then you're chasing that fix to try and feel better again so it's it's not about it's not about trying to feel happy that's why i get angry when they call antidepressants happy pills because yeah. they're not when they're prescribed properly that as you know they're not meant to make you happy they're meant to make you feel normal for you know to see the light at the end of the tunnel they're not tranquilizers they don't tranquilize you they replace a chemical that's missing so um, when prescribed properly, I'm a huge advocate for them.
1: As you say, you know, there's always been a stigma. It's
0: so funny, this, this stigma about it, mm. it drives me mad, Natalie, you know, because I mean, I understand people who are into homeopathy and not into any kind of drugs, but, um, you know, I, I know people who've put all sorts of things in their bodies <laughs> and then they'll say, oh, I'm not taking an antidepressant, you know, like, okay. Um, my mum used to say to me, If you had bronchitis, which I get, if you had chronic bronchitis, you would not think anything of taking a course of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So you're doing the same for your mind. Because what would happen is, like a lot of people, I would take them, feel better, and stop taking them. They don't work like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to keep them in your system for a time. I'm not saying you have to be on them forever, but some people wouldn't think anything of being on some things for, for a long time. I just feel. But for me, whatever I'm doing now, I'm going to continue doing because it's working for me and everybody has to find their own thing. The thing is, it's the origin of the depression. It took me 20 years to have it established that the origin of my depression was hormonal caused by having a baby. You know, wow, shock, horror. Women having babies may cause hormonal chaos. You know, live creature comes out your foo-foo, and you think that there's good that you're not supposed to have a hormonal chaos. Yeah, okay, you are. But some people's hormonal chaos, chemical chaos, most women, it rights itself. Mm-hmm. With mine and with millions of other women, it doesn't. But for some reason, we're not allowed to make a song and dance about it. And I don't like doing the gender thing, but if if men had babies, there'd be a postnatal depression clinic on every corner because the world would grind to a halt. And I had to fight for 20 years to have my hormone balance taken seriously until I went to see this guy in um, Harley Street. And he said to me, you are so deficient in oestrogen, I don't know how you've survived. And that was having had my oestrogen checked at my doctors for years with the normal, you know, random blood tests that they do and it coming back normal kidney normal, this normal, that normal, 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 normal. and I accepted it. If anybody is really struggling and can scrape together the money to go and have some private bloods done, I would recommend it. It may not be the reason, but it's worth doing because I was desperately, desperately low in oestrogen and had possibly been for 20 years
1: that's the worrying thing, I think that's really scary because, so, you know, I mentioned to you that we do talk about the perimenopause and the menopause on this podcast. I'm really passionate about getting those conversations opened up, especially with younger women as well, you know, like don't don't fear this, be prepared for it. And so uh, we've said before, you know, if you're 35 plus, I mean, it could be younger, but 35 plus and you're starting to notice kind of your moods might be slightly changing, you know, definitely try and look into this and don't just assume it, it, it's stress or whatever.
0: Don't assume you have to feel like that. I mean, you know, you remember you just read your history books. Mm-hmm. When when we when our period stopped historically and we couldn't have babies, there was no point to us as, mm. a, as, a, as a gender, as, as a sex. There was no point to us. You know, women were basically on the scrap heap. So there was, of course, no help or anything spent into how we could avoid this. The fact is, you don't have to. There is estrogen replacement. Again, I'm not, sounds like I'm going, take your antidepressants, take your HRT. It's perfectly, it's up to you. But Nadia, my friend Nadia Sawala, who does loose with me, she resisted HRT. She thought that it was normal to completely lose your libido. She just thought, well, you're older, I can guarantee it's not normal. Um, And she thought that, you know, this problem and depression problem and sweating problem and just everything, it was completely normal. She wasn't gonna take HRT. She could deal with it all. This is just what happened. She spent eight years battling that. She took them and her life's changed. And she said, I am so pissed off that I wasted eight years of my life, you know? And so as I say, it's not saying it's for everybody, mm-hmm. but please don't rule it out. And like you say, Natalie, very wisely, um, just do a little bit of research about the menopause before you go into it. That's why I mentioned Anise as well, Anise Mukashi, because hers is very her talks and book is very much aimed at um, training women for the for, for the menopause. Because until the last few years, we haven't talked about it. You know, my mum worked in what used to be called A mental hospital for really high grade mentally handicapped, as we used to say, people. And she was on a woman's ward called Sagan. And there were these women who were completely and utterly institutionalized, nonverbal, in a corner, making noises. It was the saddest place. And my mum was amazing. She said to me, she was so wonderful when I was poorly. And she said to me, there will be women in here who were put in. With undiagnosed postnatal depression mm. and menopause and have become institutionalized over the years. That is what people used to do. If you talk to someone of, say, not yours, but of my grandma's generation, you would say, Grandma, what happened to Auntie Vera? And they'd go, Oh, she went a bit funny after the birth. Mm. There was always a, there was always people in the family that went a bit funny after the birth. They never talked about them anymore. They, they've gone away. And We, living 2022 and we don't have to do that anymore we ain't going anywhere
1: no and, and and I'm very much an advocate of like I said of getting this conversation going we had brilliant Lisa Snowden on um on last series and she talked about you know when she suffered from um uh, early menopause symptoms and she was like right I'm, I'm having HRT and I said it's so refreshing to see somebody Lisa Snowden that we you know I said and you know you've always kind of been the model and all this kind of connotations that come with her and out outwardly just going yeah I'm taking HRT it's the best thing for me and like you say you don't have to take it but don't rule it out it's it's really important that women don't put themselves through unnecessary agony stress upset for what
0: absolutely and there's so many different types and there's so much research being done You know, and if you go to the right person, they'll make sure that there's no history of this, that and the other. But honestly, it can be completely life changing. We shouldn't have to live in such pain.
1: One of the things I love about Loose Women is the debate I I want to know how you navigate, you know, with, you know, female friendship groups or females in general, you know, when you have strong opinions, how do you kind of navigate that? Do you come off air and do you have to take a minute?
0: No, never, 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 never taken a minute in 20 odd in 20 years that I've been doing it. In fact, Nadia and I, we're not supposed to take our phones up there on set. They're always trying to stop us, but we always do. (laughs) And um, because I like to look at comments, if we've had a bit of a heated debate I like to look at comments because then we can sometimes comment on them you know and like yesterday I think it was uh, yesterday Nadia and I had a heated debate um about um what was it about All oh, about Prince Harry Harry and Meghan and, yeah about <laughs> Harry and Meghan and and we had this debate and um, and 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 when we cut to end of part one or end of part two I said oh look at this we're in a fiery clash like, <laughs> You know, Denise and Nadia, you know, in fiery clash. And you know what really annoys me, uh, Nat, is that if it was men, sounds like I've been men bashing. No, it's not. I gave birth to two of them. I love men, but it's the way the public perceives it. If it was men, they wouldn't say they were in a fiery clash. They try to bring us down on loose women all the time because we are women. We have never, I have never, I swear down, I have never had a fallout, a proper fallout in 22 years about anything that's gone on on screen or anything with any of the women, any of them. Me and Carol McGiffin used to go, you know, hell for leather on there. Sometimes during COVID, I'd, you know, I'd want to jump over the desk, you know, because, because Kay was driving me mad about something. But the other thing that people don't realize is that, say, it's Kay who's anchoring or Ruth or whoever it is, they go, Kay, you know, people are in support of me. Kay Adams shot down Denise Welsh and fired. It's like, she didn't shut me down. We have legals that we have to adhere to. So the anchor of the show is the moderator as they call them in America. So they have to balance. So certain things that say I say, whether or not Kay personally agrees or disagrees, she is the anchor, has to balance. So mm-hmm. if I'm going on a rant about something, Kay'll have to say, but, you know, but also there is the other side of it. And people always assume that she's shutting me down. She's not, she's got in her ear, you know, jump in. Or I've got sharp Denzi in my, call me Denzi, in my ear. Um, but we, we are very opinionated women. And that's the reason why those of us like me and Nadia and Carol and Kay have been on it for 20 years, you know, because, it's it's a show that embraces opinion and embraces anecdote and embraces age. The older the the older you are, the more T-shirts you've got. The more you don't give an utter shit about uh, about what uh, what a lot of people say anymore. I I care desperately if I hurt anybody, but I don't care what Sue on Twitter says particularly. It doesn't hurt me anymore if they're trying to troll me. At the same time, I'm very interested in what people have to say if they want to have a genuine. A genuine discussion or argument with me you know i'm someone that can fight my corner on any forum i'm also someone that can have my mind changed and say okay i get your point but this is what i feel blah 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 um it's the people who you know it's the people who watch it like this guy yesterday just so occasionally somebody says something and i have to tweet back or whatever and just occasionally people go, oh, Loose Women is the worst show on television. I hate Denise Wells. She says this. She talks rubbish. She's always talking about this. Somebody said yesterday, oh, how long is it going to be before she mentions her dad died? Oh, and it's like, wow. wow. And you just want to go, do you know, Rob, um, don't watch it then. Look, Rob, there's a, you know, there's a television and there's the off button, or the, you know, wherever the off button is. Turn it off. Don't torture yourself if you, if you hate me so much. It just makes me laugh um but um but yeah what do you
1: think about social media because as I said like I love seeing your boomerangs you are boomeranging with everybody at the minute and I love it so much and what's your thoughts on social do you as you said there you know you kind of get to that point where you're like ah I'm not bothered but do you also do you see it as an extension of work or how how do you see it the the whole thing
0: I see it as it, it has many pros and it has really bad cons and it depends how you use it, I, mm. I hate so much of it, you know, I, I hate Twitter, but I'm a little bit addicted to it, <laughs> you know, if I'm, if I'm honest, I, I've become less involved, you know, because the, the whole COVID thing, um, and I'm still involved in the fact that I think it's outrageous that people still can't visit their family after mm. two years, you know, I think it's highlighted the massive and pitfalls in the NHS that we're still being blamed for even though there was some wonderful NHS treatment and some not so wonderful treatment when my dad was in but living it living and breathing in the NHS for a few months with my dad was an eye-opener in many ways some positive and many many negative you know the NHS was on its knees mm-hmm. and um and it's not the it's it's rarely the nurses on the on the shop floor who are, they're never making these decisions. It's it's the trusts, the people in the trusts who, when I asked the nurses, had sometimes not been down to the shop floor for three years. You know, I said to one nurse, "When was the last time when they were making they were trying to stop visiting again?" And I said, "I'm not stopping visiting my dad. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. I'm going to tell you now. I'll break the doors down." And um, this is when he was you know very very poorly, and I said. The, the nurses were horrified and they were really upset you know because they were going to have to tell people that they couldn't visit again and I said when was the last time the people who made this decision came down and she said three years ago when Matt Hancock visited is what is is what she said and that got what that's what goes on a lot so it really um it, it really upsets me so it does give me Twitter does give me a, a place to either rant as it as it did but also to make my point nice. and so I was you know there were there were times when it was very useful to me but it's also a very toxic place so you've got to be in a certain mindset and have twitter breaks to use it instagram i in the main um keep very lighthearted and keep for work and unfortunately you've got to be in it to win it natalie those of us in the industry um it is part of our lives now and and we have to sort of remain remain seen and we all have to make a living you know people get 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 sort of mocked and and, and put down for doing paid partnerships. And it's like, well, some of the, we have to earn a living. You know, we have to earn a living. Those of us who are theater actresses, those of us who are television actresses, some of my friends didn't work and haven't started mm-hmm. working again for two years or, or, or whatever, you know, so, uh, so you, you've got to support those, support those, the, those people using it as an industry but also the things like the boomerangs and everything, I just have great fun with it. You know, it's just become a bit of a thing. It's, it all. It started because I cannot work TikTok. So I thought I can't move on from this. So I'm going to pretend that I'm being really retro with the boomerang, but actually it's the only thing I can do. So and somebody in America, I was with my friend Noy, who was in um, Waterloo Road with me. And, uh, and I said to this couple of girls, I said, hi, it's really embarrassing and a bit cringy, but would you mind doing a boomerang with me and my friend? And she went, would I do it? what? And I said, would you just do a boomerang with me and my friend? And she went, okay, sure. So she did this boomerang and we do the little thing like this. And then afterwards she went, oh my God, it's so sweet that you're on social media. <laughs> I was <give about laughs> like, it's so sweet that you're on social media. She should have followed it with Nana. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know. So, so, so yeah, so I, I do, I mean, I'm really pleased that my, it, it's a difficult one, you know, because my young son, Louis is mm. is an actor and he doesn't really like Instagram very much. He doesn't post that much. When he does post, I can't see it because it says, usually says, you are blocked from following this person. Um, <laughs> but um, But, you know, but at the same time, I am saying to him, you know, you're doing all right, but I think that you do, You are going to have to start posting a bit, but you know, you can just use it for work-related things. I just think that for a lot of people who are very insecure, it can be a very mean um, workplace of compare and despair. I think people have got to get their heads around about the fact that these are usually not, these are exaggerated versions of people's real lives. Nobody lives the Instagram
1: life. Nobody lives the Instagram life. Nobody. And I no, agree with you. God like, any. if you're in this industry, for me, I've had that before. You know, there is a bit of snobbery. It's like, oh, you're on Instagram. But I'm like you, Denise. I'm kind of like, listen, I'm freelance. You know, you've got to kind of, you keep yourself out there.
0: Natalie, nobody, pay, nobody pays us if we're, not, if, we're, if we're not working, you know it's like people say to my my husband Lincoln who's an artist yes but art shouldn't be about the money it's like well okay well who else is going to pay who else is going to pay me then yes I love to paint but I also have to sell my work (laughs) in order to feed my family
1: well for me I've had this argument I had this argument with an agent actually and I was like I'm not from a privileged background. I'm from a background where you go out there, you sell, you know, you go out and you're, you're like, that's yes. it, you've got to be, you know, especially if you want to survive and you want to have a, a long career as well, you know, not just kind of be a flash in the pan or you could be waiting all day for the right role to come along and it might not ever come.
0: And it's like with theatre now, people don't realise, you know, to try and get a theatre theater job at the minute, like, you know, I was talking to some young kids the other day who are brilliant young actors. But the thing is, because what COVID's done, you know, unnecessarily in my opinion, but what, what COVID has done, the backlog it's caused in theatre is two or three years. Mm-hmm. So all these plays that were promised to go on, they're, they're all in a row now to go on. So the people wanting to do the new stuff are way, way back there. And you know, some actors work predominantly in theater, especially our musical theater friends. Yeah. That's what they are trained to do. And the other thing about it is, is that the other thing I was fighting for the last two years is, is financial exclusion. Because if you were lucky enough to have, um, you know, I was able to work through COVID. I was able to, mm. I had my book. I was able to do Loose Women down the line. I was doing Hollyoaks. Loads, all the theater actors were out of work. And if they had a bit of savings, um. They, they had to use all those savings because they might have had a good year a couple of years before, but then the tax ban comes. And, you know, it's, it's, that, it's all of that effect. Mm-hmm. If they'd had a good couple of years, they were then having to off, off those savings and had nothing and no, no income. So, and people go, oh, theater, theater, theater. It's not just the people on the stage, as we know. It's the thousands of people involved in getting a show on that, that suddenly had no money at
1: all and not really the right support. You know, lots of people fell through the net. Yeah, like lots and lots of people just got nothing.
0: Beauty therapists, the whole beauty industry, the Mm. hospitality, you know, it was terrible really. But anyway, on a positive note, we're coming back.
1: forward now just you know about um your own well-being what are the things that you like to do you know I know that you work with lighter life and you know that's something that you're quite passionate about as well is healthy living what are the practices or products that you would recommend to our listeners that you would swear by
0: yeah it's funny you know because I'm not really a a product person lighter life is something that is a bit of a journey because um, I gave up alcohol 10 years ago and nine years ago, I realized that I was in danger of replacing an alcohol addiction with an eating addiction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was putting on weight and, and I was kind of all right about that because I thought, well, I've, you know, everyone thinks that you lose weight if you stop drinking. Well, not if you replace it with food. And also I stopped smoking. So I suddenly, you know, when the, when the food, when the, when the dessert trolley came around pri- prior to that, I'd be outside drinking with a fag. Now there I was with a dessert trolley, also 40 years of wine and sugar surging through my body and gone. So I had this sweet tooth like I'd never had before ever in my life. Mm. And I put on two stone quite quickly. It's not a load of weight, but it, it was enough on my frame. It was enough on the television. And also I felt really unhealthy. My back was really bad. I had, I got osteoarthritis in my knee. My breathing was impaired. And so I knew I needed um to do something about it that was other than just a fad diet. So lighter life, the holy ethos of lighter life, um really appealed to me. So I lost the I lost the stone um in a month with a mentor and um I lost st- another stone and so I'd lost two stone and then I've just worked you know to keep to keep that off. So people think that once you do lighter life, you're on it all the time. I don't I do flexor fasting, so I might do a day a week where I have lighter life products because I know that I'm getting, it's, it's called fasting, but it's probably about 800 calories. Um, when I was in Los Angeles recently, um, I was gonna eat really healthily and walk on Runyon Canyon every day. No, I didn't. So I'm not superhuman. I'm, I sometimes talk the talk and don't walk the walk, but I have the tools that I need to get, to get back on board. So I do, I, I do the best that I can, but I'm not a slave to the gym and I'm not a slave to my food. I enjoy my food. I just don't binge like I used to. I've, I've sort of learned how to, you know, le- learned how not to do that. Um, as regards, um, I try to drink more water. It doesn't come naturally to me. The water drinking really doesn't. Um, so I have to force myself to do certain things. And I, and I try and walk a lot. Mm. And that's basically it. Um, I get given lots of beauty products and I try some. And, but I'm, I'm basically, I'm, I'm somebody that I never spend a lot of money on beauty products. I just don't. If I'm given expensive ones, that's gorgeous. But I'm just as happy with a, with a tub of boots cream or a Ponzo or Nivea. And I've also got genetically quite good skin, mm-hmm. which is because of my mum. And so uh, I had my eyes done when I was 50. That was the only surgery that I've ever had because I had these bags under here and I had that done. I worry a bit about this turkey neck, but I'll I'll leave it for now, I can't be honest.
1: <laughs> no, you look beautiful, honestly. Thanks. You and would and you know, on your post as well that just recently when you were celebrating ten years of sobriety, you were saying, you know, look, might have a couple more lines or whatever, but you looked for me like absolutely sparkling and do you feel like that now that you feel the best you've probably ever felt
0: I do I feel much better than I did in my 40s and 50s absolutely sobriety has changed everything about the way I live it is the best thing and like I've said to people I'm not the drink police I said at the end of my post for those of my friends who love a drink and who don't have a problem raise a martini to me absolutely I never surrounded myself with sobriety but with with sober people, I just stay away from my friends when they're drunk. When they get drunk, I just leave. They don't even notice I've gone. But um, I'm talking about if if alcohol is making you unhappy, if it makes you ashamed, if it if if it makes you um, really anxious, depressed, you're drinking too much. End of story. And and if you can stop, do because believe you me, you think you think oh I won't be any fun when I'm drinking. When you're sober, your friends aren't fun when they're drinking. They're the most boring people in the entire world. <laughs>
1: And just before we finish up, Denise, you know, what, what words of wisdom would you give to your younger self?
0: It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice.
1: Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes, I love that. That is oh, that's such a beautiful note to end on. And you are super oh, nice. I've, I've absolutely loved this you. conversation. Thank you so much it's been such a pleasure and you know i've waited since series one to get you on this podcast like i said at the beginning oh god you
0: make me sound like i'm so busy okay thank you
1: <laughs> no it's, it's like it's just such a joy and um, for more from denise you can catch her on itv's loose women weekdays from twelve thirty till 1.30 p.m you can also follow her on twitter at real denise welsh and on instagram at Denise underscore Welsh. For more well-being, fashion and beauty, you can visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk. You can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the In Conversation page or subscribing to any of our podcast channels and YouTube. Feel free to leave us your rates and reviews. As always, I do love hearing from you. You can also drop us a message at our Instagram at officialcapsule. I will be back next week with another fabulous guest and more conversations of inspiration, but all that's left Left for us to say today is goodbye. So it's goodbye from Denise. Bye. And goodbye from me. This episode of The Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Springwater. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes, perfect for healthy hydration.